Good morning. Our reading today is chapter 5 of Galatians, beginning in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers and sisters, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and being one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a church, we've been reading through Galatians this summer, and we're just coming to the end of it. There's a lot in this passage, so let's pray now so we can better hear just what the Lord wants to say to each of us. Jesus, you have set us free indeed. Help us to know what that means, what that looks like in each of our lives. Please make our imaginations bigger so to see the incredible life of the Spirit you call us to. Amen. Back in the year 2000, I was just starting out my first term at university, and I was in over my head already. There was so much reading to do, and I was constantly behind. One of the courses I took was Humanities 101, which was an introduction to Western literature and philosophy. I actually didn't want to take this class, 
but my dad suggested it would be a good part of my education. And since he was paying for that education, I reluctantly agreed. So in this class, we read foundational texts like those of Homer and Plato and Augustine and a bunch of other important thinkers whom I have completely forgotten now. We also read sections from the Bible. And when I started this course, I thought that even though I didn't get Plato, at least the Bible readings would be easier for me. But then my heart sank when we came to the New Testament and the book of Galatians was our reading. This is not an easy book to write an essay about. And my heart sank too when I looked around at the other 20 kids in my class and none of them were Christians. And I thought at the time, oh no, Galatians is a terrible way into telling people about Jesus. It's like we've landed in the middle of a church fight and there's Paul going off the rails and talking about how he wishes his opponents would castrate themselves. How is that going to draw people to Jesus? But like many a first year university student, I was wrong, and I was missing the point of what I was reading. It's easy to miss the point of Galatians, because it's a dense book, and the stakes are high, and Paul is fired up because what he's talking about really matters. But the good news today is that this book really is good news for us. So if you're like me, and you need some help tracking just where we've been the past few weeks as we've been reading through Galatians in the church, I have a couple of suggestions for you of things that have helped my own reading. Now, the first is the Bible Project. We talked about the Bible Project before, and it's an incredible resource for learning scripture. It's a huge website with Bible study resources written by accessible scholars, and the website has short videos walking through each book of the Bible with detailed overviews in graphic form. If you just log on to BibleProject.com, you can find a nine-minute video on Galatians, and you can print off these book overviews. It's all free and amazing. The second thing that's helped my understanding of Galatians is reading it in the translation called The Message. This modern translation was made by Eugene Peterson in America in the 1980s and 90s as a way to paraphrase the Bible into modern American English. So while it's not a literal translation of the Bible, it's really helpful as an interpretation of the Bible, as a way of imagining about what these words might mean in our everyday ways of thinking and speaking. It's written in American English, so you'll have to just keep on translating it into your own British English. I can't help you there. You can read the message online for free at BibleGateway.com. Now, one way that I find helpful of studying scripture is to print off a section at a time like a letter and then mark it up in underlined parts and try to see how things fit together. Now, one reason Galatians is especially good in the message is because the book of Galatians is what started Eugene Peterson down this path of making a new modern translation. In the 1980s, he was a pastor in Baltimore, Maryland, and he'd been with his congregation for 20 years, trying to get scripture inside their hearts and heads. But in the 80s, he felt his congregation was getting more and more caught up in a lifestyle that was just like the world around them. And he was dismayed to see how easily they were abandoning the truth of the gospel. So Peterson was angry at how they had turned away. And he thought that the book of Galatians, which is Paul's angriest letter, might jar his congregation back to following Jesus and the true gospel. 
So Eugene Peterson planned two years of going through the book of Galatians as a church. Two years. You guys think Steve is intense, <coughs> but take heart. It could be worse. <coughs> so Peterson started off with a year-long adult Bible study on Galatians. And right off the bat, that first week, he noticed that no one seemed to get how much Paul was riled up, how much the things Paul was talking about mattered. His Bible study group members were paying more attention to their coffee than to their Bibles. This is how Peterson described it. He said, Here I was, laying the groundwork for a major renewal of spirit-torched imagination in my congregation. Galatians, Paul's angry, passionate, fiery letter that rescued his congregation from their regression into cultural slavery. Galatians was on the table and nobody was getting it. Sweetly smiling, they were giving more attention to stirring sugar into their styrofoam coffee cups than to the spirit words that pulsed into Paul's metaphors and syntax. So Peter went home and thought and prayed, and then he came back and tried something new. The next week for their Bible study, he made the coffee as usual, but instead of Bibles, he gave everyone a page of the first 250 words of Galatians that he had rendered into modern English. And it drew everyone in. They started seeing these words anew. And so it went on, week after week, adding a page of what Paul's words in Galatians might have sounded like if they had been written to their church that day. After just the second week of doing this, Peterson noticed that at the end of their Bible study, all the styrofoam cups were half full of cold coffee. His members had started paying more attention to the words of God than to their coffee cups. And Peterson said he took great satisfaction in pouring out all that cold coffee at the end. Now this was a long introduction to our reading in Galatians 5 today. A lot of throat clearing exercises, as one of my professors used to say. But it felt important to mention all this because in Galatians 5, we come to a more familiar part of Paul's letter, and it can be easy to glaze over it all and miss the force of what God is saying to us through Paul. And so we need to be sure that we read these verses in light of the entire message of Galatians. We have some parts of this chapter that make for nice Christian artwork and posters. Verses like, It is for freedom Christ has set us free, and the famous list of the fruits of the Spirit. If we take a verse like the fruits of the Spirit in isolation, we can easily miss the whole point of what Paul is contending for in Galatians. The fruits of the Spirit aren't a Christian to-do list, or a mood board, or an inspirational vision. We don't get love, joy, and peace in our lives simply by wanting them and trying harder. This chapter of Galatians is not about things we should do to be good Christians things we have to accomplish on our own. So if I preached a message that urged you to be better people by pulling yourselves together and trying harder to have all these fruits in your lives, Paul would be banging his head against the wall. No, the message of Galatians is that we're incapable of accomplishing anything by ourselves, of bearing any fruit by ourselves. And this chapter is a reminder of the choice we have to keep on trying to do things our own way and eventually face death 
are to come to Jesus and find his life. When we try to live by our own strength, we will inevitably crumble. But when we come to Jesus, we are given a life more abundant and free than we could ever imagine. Paul reminds us that we have only two options, either slavery to sin or freedom in Christ. And the incredible thing is that if we choose freedom in Christ, what is true of Jesus becomes true of us. The life of Jesus starts becoming the life of us. Now Jesus is the freest human being who ever lived because he was free from sin and was full of the Spirit of God and he had the greatest freedom to love. And if we follow Jesus, we too can be free from sin and full of the Spirit and have that same freedom to love. We often think of freedom as freedom from something. You might imagine Mel Gibson in Braveheart with a blue painted face shouting, Freedom! and a thick Scottish accent. Or in America, my home country, we sing about the land of the free and the home of the brave. We don't want any of your English oppression there. We want to be free. But this kind of freedom doesn't actually take us very far. Freedom from one earthly power just leads to enslavement to another. The writers of the American Constitution actually had a pretty realistic view of human nature and I knew that left to their own devices, the newly freed Americans would just create their own systems of oppression. And we tried hard not to, but we still did. So the kind of freedom Paul is describing isn't a freedom from any kind of rules or authority. It's rather a freedom to, a freedom to a new way to be human, a freedom to a new way to live. It's a freedom to a new way of doing life, of having a spirit-filled life, and being free to do all manner of things we never could before. It's like how the writer Rabindranath Tagore describes freedom. He says, I have on my table a violin string. It's free to move in any direction I like. If I twist one end, it responds, it's free. But it is not free to sing. So I take the string and fix it into my violin. I bind it, and when it is bound, it is free for the first time to sing. That is the kind of freedom we have in being bound to Christ. A freedom from the sin we've been lugging around all our lives, and a freedom to love in ways we never could have beforehand. And this freedom is one that comes through Jesus living in us. Galatians 5 picks up on something Paul said earlier in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in this chapter, Paul is now fleshing out that statement by describing what the life of Christ in us might look like, how we might be more like Jesus. Listen to how Eugene Peterson in the message translates the verse about the fruits of the Spirit. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, 
and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Don't we want that? I want to be that kind of person, one who is full of affection and peace and who is not forcing my way in life. This was the way of Jesus, and this is the way he offers us. Now there is, of course, another kind of life we can choose. And Paul outlines what that looks like in verses 5, 19 to 21. It's life marked by things like indulging ourselves, being envious, jealous, drunk, angry. All these things come naturally to us. And we often don't even see the ugliness of them for what they are. We're so used to sin that we get desensitized to it. But when we come to Jesus, the allure of sin starts to break, and suddenly sin just looks truly ugly. We start to want the life of the Spirit. We want patience more than we want anger. We want purity more than impurity. We want peace more than resentment. So how do we get all of that? How do we participate in what Jesus is doing? We haven't created these fruits and we can't make them grow, but we can tend to our souls. We can watch over the orchard and water the soil and pull up weeds and wait patiently to see the life that is springing up. Spiritual disciplines are the way we do this, the way we participate in what Jesus, the master gardener, is doing. They're the way that we kneel down next to Jesus and dig around the soil of our lives. We dig into our souls with things like prayer and reading the Bible and fasting and being in community. These are just ways of putting ourselves in the way of God, of readying ourselves for the work that he wants to do in us. And as we do that, those fruits of the Spirit start to grow in our lives. As rich and abundant as the gardens which a lot of you tend. Chris and Val just shared with us some more of their harvest and I'm amazed at what they can grow. And there's so much amazement too at how the fruits of the Spirit can grow in us. Some fruits grow slowly, and some spring up quickly in a season. But if we are in Jesus, all the time there is life growing. We can't control how quickly anything grows, but we can keep on showing up each day and tending the soil. And as we do that, the Spirit of God takes over and does more than we can see. Our family has been here two years now, and in that time, we've seen the fruits of the Spirit in you all. Even before we moved into the vicarage, and before we met most of you, we saw such love you had as a church, as a team of you volunteered to repaint the vicarage for us, and you also scrubbed our oven clean and tidied up our garden. We've seen joy here in worship as some of our older saints have been lifting up their hands in praise and singing, shine Jesus, shine, like it's 1987 again. We've seen peace when there is someone whose feelings I had hurt who was serving tea and coffee one Sunday. And she gave me my cup of tea and she came out from behind the hatch to give me a hug. 
To be sure, I knew that she had made peace with me. We've seen patience in church meetings as people have listened to each other, even when they had very different views. We were so blessed by kindness two Sundays ago. One of you showed up on our doorstep at 9.30 in the morning with a homemade lasagna in hand. She knew that we had been traveling and gotten back late on Saturday night, and so she made us a lasagna for our Sunday lunch. And just a side note, lasagna is one of our family favorites, in case anyone else ever feels the spirit nudge them to do that another time. We've seen such goodness in one of you who quietly looks after the church garden and grounds, all on his own initiative. When we had that snowstorm back in March, our family came to go sledding down the hill, and there the saint was, salting down the paths first thing in the morning. We've seen faithfulness in how so many of you have been praying so long for the church and for the things Jesus wants to do here. There are many of you who have been prayer warriors here for decades through many seasons of this church, and you keep battling on. We've seen gentleness and those of you who help with our youngest members and our oldest members, as you've taken care of and tended to the most tender ones of our flock. And we've seen self-control and how some of you use your money. You haven't used your extra cash for extra pleasures for yourself, but you've given so generously to all kinds of needs and projects and people. There are many things we have here in the church that were outside of our church budget, but they were anonymously bought by individuals who chose to deny their own pleasures so they could give more. Now, all these things happen in our church almost subconsciously. I don't think any of those folks I just mentioned woke up on those days and set out to be loving or patient or good. But that lovingness and patience and goodness just flowed out of the Spirit of God at work in them. Those ways we saw the fruits of the Spirit and you as a church were simply the end result of a people who were drawing closer to Jesus and were being made more like him. A family of people and Jesus who are full of faith in Jesus and are loving God and others and the power of the Spirit. This is the message of the book of Galatians. I wish I had gotten that 20 years ago as it would have been a pretty good message to share with my fellow students in Humanities 101. Galatians is about a people loving Jesus, learning Jesus, living Jesus. And this message wasn't just for the Church of Galatia, but it's for us today. It's being offered to all of us today. Shall we say yes to that? Amen.